0: Hey, this is Nicole with Anime Declassified, and today I'm going to be interviewing J. Michael Tatum. So what initially got really got you into voice acting, necessarily? Uh just being an actor, really, I think, which is both true and untrue. I I did a lot of well it's okay, it's a long story, so let me try to like p- parse it down. When I was very little I had a speech impediment, A very bad speech impediment, so so much so that I I very rarely spoke. <laughs> I've been making up for lost time ever since, of course, so no worries. You. But um, but I, my speech therapist, uh, and I discovered that if I had something to read from, like to recite or something I could commit to memory, the stutter tended to disappear. So she, who had ties to the theater, were like, well, you should, you should, you know, try your hand at some community theater, do this. You know, they're always looking for, for, you know, fresh blood. So, um, I, I just kind of did it and I loved it. I, I just loved being on stage. I loved, so theater, the very concept yeah. of acting kind of gave me my voice quite literally. Dude. And, uh, so, oh, sorry. So that's yeah. just, that's just part yeah, one. Yeah, if you have so, more, yeah, go on. <laughs> So I did it for years and years and years as a kid. Uh, and then when the time, I was also, though, really, really into music. My grandfather was a pianist, so I started playing when I was very young. And there came a dreadful moment in my high school years where I had to decide did I want to pursue music or did I want to pursue mm-hmm. acting. And I uh, just flipped a coin uh, and decided, you know, well, it's okay, we'll go with music. Um, I went to conservatory for music. It did not do very well. Uh, it just, I didn't do very well in the conservatory environment, so I, I dropped out. Kids, stay in school. Um, and uh, and just sort of fell back on a number of jobs that were just like, you know, I wasn't skilled or anything like that. I kind of just had this, this existence. I had an office job for a number of years, wound up working at an ad agency, which lovely people, but I wasn't, I didn't really belong. Um, and I certainly wasn't good at it. And then a friend of mine who happened to work for Funimation, which is local for me, uh, well, local for us here, we're in Dallas, I keep forgetting we're home. Um, uh, called me up one day and said, "Hey, you know, I need some. I need. I need some voices that, uh, you know, do, do you want to come in and, and work on this show?" And I was like, "Oh, I, I haven't acted in like ten years, you know." He's like, "Well, it's alright. We'll, we'll. It's great. If you come in. If you suck. We'll laugh and never speak <laughs> of it again. Just whatever." And and I I I. I, I politely declined because I just couldn't get my head around the idea. And I'm like, well, it's voice acting. I've never done voice acting mm-hmm. and that's so much harder than other kinds of acting so I don't know that, I, I think it'll be a waste of your time just getting me in there because I don't think I'll do very well. So I was like, all right, all right. I hung up the phone the next day he calls me again. So, hey, I have this show I'm working on. Would you like to kind of be part of it? And I'm like, what, what do we we <laughs> about this. And this was and this was our this was our exchange every day for for almost 2 weeks every day yeah. him pretending like we hadn't had the conversation <laughs> the day prior and getting scarier and scarier each time so what began with with hey, do you want to come in? Ended up with you're coming in, arm I'm breaking your goddamn kneecaps, <laughs> and kind of thing. Because Bevins okay. is the, the name of the, the <laughs> like gentleman, I I yeah, right, right? Right. So, so Christopher Bevins is the name of the, the gentleman, a dear or friend of mine. It's an actor out. and writer, and, and a brilliant ADR director. And yeah. and he he can be a scary guy. Like he's yeah. such a sweetheart, but when he's directing, man, he's a taskmaster. And so I learned very quickly, like you know, get the line writer. We kill this puppy, kind of thing. And oh, <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> not, not really, not really. But he's intense, and it's what makes him such a good director. So I came in for an audition, what I thought was, was just your average everyday audition, and I had no idea how it worked. I'm like, do I get in the booth? And I'm like, okay, we're going to actually match animation, and, and, and I'm going to w- read from a, a, an ADR script, which is a very different animal than other types of scripts, because there's a lot of technical jargon in there that, that doesn't cross over to other like, screenplays or, or playbooks. So uh, I just was like completely lost, and it was boot camp for me for those like four hours, and then we were done. I got out of the booth, uh, true story, and I you know, was confident I had made an ass of myself and he would now leave me alone so I can go back to my crappy day job life. And, <laughs> and uh, I signed some papers that I thought were NDAs. It was my first mistake. I didn't read them very closely.
1: <laughs> and I said
0: something to the tune of, you know, how the hell do you people at Funimation get anything done if it takes you four hours to audition every single part? He's like, no, it didn't. It took us ten minutes. We've actually just recorded the first six episodes and you just signed a contract, so screw you. You're an actor now. <laughs> Oh my and uh, and that was that was uh, the role of Rikuchi in Samurai Seven, which was my very first thing I ever did wow. as a voice actor. That's like mm, And then uh, only one that's <laughs> that was that was an awesome time for your voice. That was a great time. In. <laughs> in. <laughs> dun dun dun! That's like twist. dramatic prairie dog turn. Um, so yeah, that's how I became a voice actor, and then uh, I started just doing it on the side for several years. And then uh, somebody said, "Hey, do you want to direct?" because I just happened to be playing the bad guy in one of those huge ensemble pieces where the bad guy's really the only character that knows what's going on. Yeah. So they said, well, hey, do you, you know, the, the director has to go and, and get, take a job in New York, so they're not going to be here to finish the latter half of the series. Do you want to do it? I'm like, sure, why not? Because, yeah. you know, why not? I, I like throwing caution to the wind. <laughs> so I quit my day job and became full-time voice actor director and uh, had a couple writers uh, in the booth uh, as well that kind of liked my style and said, hey, do you want to Do you want to work as a writer? I'm like, yeah. So I've been a very, very busy bee ever since. It has been a crazy... It's been 10 years. Yeah. Uh, And it has been... It feels like it just started yesterday. I'm still kind of waiting for someone to pinch me, <laughs> and to wake up. You Ow! Know, <laughs> <laughs> suddenly wake up in my cube farm job from all those oh, years yeah. ago, so it's oh, uh, yeah. it's pretty crazy. So, so I mean, you look, feel like you've found your calling? Or? I hope so, because I'm not very good at anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I am not what you call life competent, so I, I need acting. It's like, that way I can well, just pretend uh, So over the, be, over the ten years, like what would you say has been your favorite experience, or your favorite character, even... It's, you know, it's really hard to, to parse it down, to, to qualify, like, favorites, because I think as an actor, um, acting is very, like, the, the craft of acting is very mm-hmm. close to my heart. I've been fascinated by it since I was very little, because it, it kind of introduced me to the world, and for yeah. me, it was all about cultivating perspectives and inhabiting minds, not your own, so that you could learn something about yourself in the process and kind of enlarge your sense of... Of you and the world and your place in it. So it was really hard to, you know, even like the little characters that you spend like maybe two hours on and that's all you ever get with them because they're like a, an episodic character or a one-off or the guard A that, you know, says freeze and, <laughs> and gets shot and dies. They all become kind of part of you in a way, at least for me. And so they all like get lodged in your psyche permanently. And so if I pick a favorite, I feel really guilty. It's like of, being at, I feel like if I, if I my, the thing I always say is if, if I pick a favorite, it's, ah, like, oh, this character that I'll go to my my Hotel room later and like be surrounded in my head by like 80 characters going, You're a bastard, <laughs> <laughs> so I can't pick. I think that you find something of yourself uh, in every character, and that's 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 the joy of it, really. Is even this character that may be nothing like you on the surface, and you're mm-hmm. like, Well, you. Take a little deeper. There's some similarities there, Mm -hmm. so it just you you learn something about yourself even with the little character. Sometimes more with the little characters because it's more intense. You don't have the arc that longer characters do. So you have just one shot to get it right. So it's very hit the ground running, and so sometimes Mm -hmm. those can be more memorable even than the the long lived characters that you work on for years and years and years. So uh, oh yeah, my coffee is here. but uh, but yeah so it's i can't pick a favorite really i i can pick one that i think i can pick one that i think changed me the most as an actor because of how intense and how uh, and what that's an education so it was and that is um Okabe from Steinsgate mm. Steinsgate was one of my only experiences being both the, the head uh, lead writer excuse me not head writer that's John Bertmeyer, but lead writer um, along with the wonderful and sublime Patrick Seitz, who is just a great person and a wonderful person to... There's one already in there. Okay, thank you. And um, and uh, to work on that show, which is really... Science Gate is a very raw emotional experience. It's also very... Like, the main character is always at 10, whether he's screaming or crying or laughing or being crazy. He's always... He's an emotionally intense character. And I, I wrote him, and was like, oh, I do not... Uh, I do not envy the poor bastard that has to breathe life into this in the booth. <laughs> and then it was me, and I'm like, oh, damn it, you know. And um, and there was a great deal of overlap between the writing process and the recording. So, like, the first uh, six scripts were done when we started recording, but then there, there remains another, you know, uh, three sets of six. So while we were recording, I'm working on the next quarter of the series. And so I would, my days for about four to five months, maybe even six, um, consisted of getting up, recording Okabe for about... Uh, six to eight hours coming home and then working for another five to six hours on a script. And because the show is all about time travel and and what happens when you cross timelines and are mm-hmm. revisiting the same stuff over and over again, my experience of the show was very very similar to Okabe's experience of his of his reality. Yeah. So I was like oh've I've been I've been here before yeah deja vu you know <laughs> and um, and I had some moments I had there's a very particularly very harrowing moment. I've, I've probably told this story elsewhere mil- millions of times, but I love it it's um, there's an episode, I think it's episode 14 maybe 13. Um, they all kind of run together for me because of just how real it was, but uh, I, without giving anything away, the character is basically, you basically know, knows that something terrible is about to happen, and he's sort of pleading desperately for the life of his best friend at peril to his own, and he's just, he feels completely powerless, and He's crying, and, and there's nothing he can do. And he's very arrogant, um, you know, and very very high-energy, fun, arrogant kind of guy, but the sort of friend that you keep around because you like watching them wear themselves out. And suddenly he doesn't have access to that anymore. Those, that, that sort of way, that mode doesn't work in this situation. So he's being very real and kind of admitting to himself in a very, you know, very, very just oh, incredibly affecting way that he's nothing, that, you know, mm-hmm. please just don't do this. And it's really like when I wrote the episode, I was so moved by the Seiyu's performance as Okabe that I was crying as I wrote it. Um, and then I'm like, I don't know I don't know if I have the chops to, to do this in the booth. And about five weeks later, it was time to do it. And we did. And I just, because I'd been Okabe for so long at that point and never been able to kind of slough him off at the end of the day because I'd have to go home and write, um, I just lost it in the booth and started crying and having a bit of a little breakdown, which I'm like, okay, this is psychotic. This is not acting anymore. This is getting a little too realsy. Um, and, and my director, the the wonderful Colleen Clinkenbeard, who was so good. I Really, I'm very proud of her, been part of that project because of her, her skill as a director. Just made it one of the best dubs I've ever seen. Um, but she's like, honey, why don't you come out of the booth for a little bit and splash some water in your face, walk around the building for a little bit. Like, just let's, let's find Michael again. Yeah, it, and I came back ready to do the scene again dreading it and she's like good news everything you just did worked so if you're happy with the world knowing what J. Michael Tatum sounds like when he's having a breakdown can we use that and I'm like mm, yes yes please I don't <laughs> just, want to do this again just, just, so if anyone, it, wants to, if anyone wants to hear me have a genuine breakdown uh, please watch Steins Gate I had several genuine breakdowns <laughs> so that was just the first of many but yeah oh, okay. but that role taught me a lot about myself about my mm-hmm. own limits as, as, a, as an actor in terms of like what can I do before it suddenly isn't acting anymore and something a little too risky a little too crazy yeah. but Love so, I mean, one so of the that most rewarding. A, another question: Like, would you prefer? Like, do you much rather prefer the comedic roles or the more serious roles? That's a good question. I, I, they both have their merits. I, I think Bill Murray said one time that he preferred doing comedy because uh, drama is I, comedy is very hard. Drama, I feel like, is is. Um, Everyone can relate to dramatic things. I mean, most of us have been and Bill Murray again to kind of par- paraphrase the great Bill Murray's quote. He <laughs> said, "You know, most most people in life are generally closer to tears than they are to laughter in day to day life. So it's easier to get them to cry than it is to make them laugh." And I do. I feel that way. Like co- comedy takes just the right timing, just the right phrase, just the right balance of excess versus you know understatement. And drama requires the same thing. But you've got a lot. You've got a broader range available to you. Like you can you can you know you can sort of milk a dramatic moment mm-hmm. a little longer and it's still going to be just as effective or not lose any of its potency but you know t- the comedic timing the same scene has to be just right or it doesn't it doesn't mm-hmm. feel genuine and the audience won't laugh so the comedic characters are often far more difficult they're usually much higher energy yeah. um, dramatic characters have their spikes you know, where there's suddenly really intense moments because, you know, we've been waiting for them to finally just unload and they finally do, but they spend the rest of the time kind of preparing for that moment. Whereas comedic characters, like I think of someone like Isaac from Bacchino or Kamui from The Grey Man, who were very high energy and who were always hysterical. They don't have an arc in the sense that we see them change. They're kind of there, they're sort of the static characters that are there to sort of be the sort of pylons that comment on everything else going on in the drama and to kind of be the relief. Um, and those are really, really fun, but that's quite a responsibility, you know, when all this stuff is going on and your job is to kind of come in with the hat and dance and be like, ah, ha, ha, and, you know. But I love the comedic characters. One of my favorite uh, characters in all time that I hope to play when I'm old and fat is Falstaff, Sir John Falstaff from the Henry plays of Shakespeare, who's one of the greatest characters ever written. The the comedic, the, the comedic character, par excellence. So, yeah. So, I, again, I can't choose, but I think the comedic roles are probably more rewarding because if you get it right you're like yeah there's no denying that if you hear an audience of people just roaring with laughter there's nothing compares to that you know (laughs) people don't roar when they cry no so it's not it's not it's not as instantly gratifying like if they're if they're bawling in the audience if they do if they roar when they cry there's that would make me feel very uncomfortable (laughs) like if you hear a bunch of people in the audience like going ah ha, ha ha You feel great if that was your intention, right? Yeah. But if you just hear them all going, that, that's disruptive. I can't continue, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so would you say that you would, uh, when you get new material or you get a new role, do you take any inspiration from the previous sub at all? Or do you just like take it all on yourself? And we take a lot. Not not so much the subs. Uh, the subs usually come out around the same time, or at least I'm usually working on them as an adaptive writer frequently before. I'm, I'm in a lot of the shows that I write, because yeah. <laughs> I feel like, oh, huh, odd coincidence. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yes, t- give Tatum this role, because uh, he's the only one that can pronounce these words. Haha. <laughs> 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 I might have had something to do with that, but. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, the Japanese, the Japanese, the original Seiyu performance are very, very important to to dub actors because we we focus on their emotion um, frequently. If, if, if for example, as an actor, and this is more often the case than not, if you don't have any experience of the show before coming in. Uh, you don't get it 's not like any other sort of production where you have a few days or even weeks to prepare. You come in and the director tells you, okay, so five minutes here 's what 's going on here 's the character boom, do it and they usually hire you because they know that this type of character uh, has come up for you before like yeah. it's it kind of this this is a trope that falls well within what we call your wheelhouse, you know the characters that you could do in your sleep mm-hmm. um, just because that's just they they fall very close to where you sit naturally, or you 've done them so often that you you know that yeah. you know you know what this character's role in the dynamic is. Um, so you come in and you just have to kind of, you know, as I said earlier, hit the ground running. And without the Japanese, without being able to watch the Japanese, it's impossible. So we, we focus very, like, we always, like, we preview every scene in Japanese and really kind of talk for a moment about, like, okay, do you see what Sei is doing there? Because there are, and this is something, again, I learned as an adaptive writer, there are elements of every story and every performance that transcends the language barrier and a good, a good actor Is able to communicate something to you, whatever the language it is. So I may not understand exactly what's being said in Japanese, but I can tell the tone, the timbre, you know, and and it helps inform, you know, what I need to. And it's great because it it gives me that, that element of transcendence the thing that you have to focus on the subtext the things the, the stuff that's, that makes it so dramatic that falls outside of the province of words that you're able to kind of latch on to and be like all right i'm going to take that little that spirit and mm-hmm. put it behind my english mm-hmm. words and, and go so the the japanese say are remarkably important that's why i'm always so honored when i get to meet one cuz i'm like yeah. thank you cuz without you i would not have had my way into this character mm-hmm. so. <laughs> that's, yeah that's really good yeah um i had a question It flipped my mind. So where do you see like the future of voice acting necessarily going? I think it's getting it's it's funny how it's becoming it's getting better and better, I think. When you look at dubs over the past twenty years and how much they've improved, uh, just because of technology. It used to be back in the day that that we recorded on loops. Mm -hmm. So like we had less time and far fewer resources to, to get the line right. You know, you basically they'd call you up and be like, All right, we have we have this much tape, you know, don't screw it up kind of thing. But now we have Pro Tools and digital media, which has really helped us and have kind of streamlined the process so we can focus more on making it very organic. Voice acting is difficult for a lot of reasons, and let me, let me kind of for a minute off course just to make a point, but I'll, I'll try to bring it back home. <laughs> a lot of people, um, because of the position I'm in, will say, hey, I want to be a voice actor. How do I do that? And, and it's a very sincere question, of course, and I, you know, I, I love getting asked sometimes because I, I assume they think I'm, I'm a good actor or they wouldn't want to know how I did it because unless they're, they like, just, a negative example, what not to do? Okay, what does Tatum <laughs> say? Okay, not do that. Um, but I, I, I caution people against wanting to be a voice actor as a fallback, uh, from being a, a other kinds of actors. Because for me, voice acting is just one kind of acting. It's They're all acting, and the awkward word is acting. And like all kinds of... Every craft out there, there's kind of a core set of of a sort of core vocabulary of skills that you need under your belt that will apply across the board, whatever specific avenue or venue you find yourself in. So people that want to be voice actors because they don't feel they'd be very good on stage or on camera or whatever are kind of going about it backwards. Um, I feel very strongly from experience that unless you're comfortable on stage or on front of a camera, other sorts of acting, what we think of as more traditional types of acting in our our society, uh, if you're not comfortable in those context, voice acting is going to be that much more closed off to you because uh, when you're bringing a character to life, say on stage, um, you know, you have costumes, you have sets, mm-hmm. you have other actors working off of you in real time and in this very organic sense. You also have weeks and weeks of rehearsal, um, all of which contribute to creating this imaginative space and giving the sort of reality to the character and the situation they're in. When you're voice acting you are in a box with foam and a microphone and you have some animation and you have a script but you're not with any other actors they may not even be recorded yet so you may be recording in a vacuum so you have to tap even deeper to make it real for yourself like you are on your own I mean you have the director and engineer and all that but I mean you are on your own like there is nothing but your voice that you can use so you may be wonderful on stage but if you don't know how to channel all the things you would use on stage into just your voice and to make that communicate the character you're dead in the water so it's kind of like someone's being like you may be a wonderful carpenter but suddenly someone says okay build me a house but you're only allowed to use a hammer not even nails, just a hammer. That's all you get. Now build me this wonderful house. And that's kind of... So if you're not, if you're not an accomplished carpenter, you have no hope of doing that. Yeah, <laughs> so that's, that's kind of what I feel. So acting... And so the future of voice acting, to, to get back to your question, is I think people are beginning to realize voice acting, dub acting in particular, used to be kind of considered like the lowest of the low. <clears throat> it was like, I think, under porn actors and, and, and you know people that appear on those crappy late-night television commercials, um, which I'm, I've been one of them, I'm not going to lie. So <laughs> not the porn part, no. Um, <laughs> That's later in my career. Um, <laughs> I'm climbing the ladder, you see. But uh, but I feel like it, people, over the years, like a lot of anime have come out that have sort of crossed into uh, uh, pop culture awareness at large, into the mainstream, and have become aware, and the dubs have gotten a lot of love, and so people are like, wow... Th- Real actors do that. Like, this is this is another kind of acting. So, you know, when film became a thing, you know, a hundred so years, like, all the stage actors were like, well, film is where you go when you can't act on stage, you know? And then uh, film actors are now saying, well, television is where you go when you can't act on film. And television people are like, oh, well, dubs are where you go when you can't act on, <laughs> when you can't act on, on television. So, but I feel like now, like, dubs and, and voice acting and